My name is Linda Nardelli. I'm a spiritual counselor and the author of Mystical Intimacy, a book on embodied mysticism. I think of embodied mysticism as, as a somatic experience of spirituality. It's a way of living, living our divinity, and especially honoring our soul purpose. It's, it's about connecting with our true essence in, in everyday life. Most people tend to separate the spiritual from the ordinary. They separate the spiritual from, from their work life, from relationships, family, and even from themselves. As they you know, choose one aspect of themselves over another, even in their efforts to be spiritual or to attain some kind of spiritual detachment and ascension, they, they tend to devalue the human nature and repress their psychology, their feelings, their shadow aspects, making that non-spiritual. There's many spiritual viewpoints that take on an air of authority, of, of superiority, which often results in self-protection to maintain that false sense of detachment and, and that false sense of spiritual hierarchy. And to me, to me, this isn't embodied spirituality. It is hierarchy and it lacks humanity. And the same thing is true for people that follow religious dogmas and project that onto others, expecting that, that others should somehow follow the same religion or, or the same spiritual beliefs or values, that they're lesser than if they don't. You know, I, I remember uh, being invited to um, an, a sannyasa and an Osho event many years ago. And as I was told what would happen in that event, I wasn't too sure if it was for me. And the more I investigated, the more I thought, no, this isn't for me. And what, why I chose that is because I was told that there would be sections where we'd be expressing how much we loved each other, and then 15 minutes would go by, and we'd then be expressing another emotions. And I remember there was an it was described that we'd be expressing our anger. So 15 minutes, we'd go around the room yelling at each other. And I said to my friend, uh, been there, done that? I lived that. That's my childhood. Why exactly would I do that again? And this is what he said to me. He says, oh, well, you're obviously not ready. <laughs> well, what a put down, except instead of, instead of empathy and understanding of mm, what fits for me. I remember attending a workshop where I wasn't so sure if it was the right thing and walking away really quite devastated, witnessing something that um, just made me relive a lot of what I witnessed when I was a child, and I needed therapy to fix that. But I paid for the workshop on top of it all. So I think trusting our uncertainty and our doubts and our discomforts is important. So to me, deciding when one is ready or not and seeing that as being lesser than or seeing that as not being evolved enough, well, that too is not embodied spirituality. It's a hierarchy, and that too lacks humanity. And there's so many ways that we do that as spiritual followers, trying to excel, trying to get better, trying to be better, and that we can miss out on the beauty of our humanity. My husband recalls going to a church service where everyone was dressed to perfection and looking the part of the spiritual devotee. That's how he described it. But upon leaving the church, the congregation proceeded to ignore a beggar that stood barefoot on the steps of the church. My husband and his sister went up to the beggar who was seeking shelter on a cold November night 
in Alberta, of all places. Imagine how cold. They followed their instincts and they offered him a ride to the nearest homeless shelter. What stood out for my partner was the incongruency between what was spoken in the church and, and what he saw outside its walls. Personally, you know, when I think of homeless people, I, I don't regularly stop to give a homeless person money or, or my support. I tend to, to also follow my instinct. Sometimes I walk on by after nodding and saying hello. I don't offer money, but I've learned that many people feel shamed if you don't at least acknowledge them walking by and, and, and avoiding them. What does that serve? And this is a funny story. Not long ago, I bought a gift card for a street person, and it was his idea. I had offered to get him a sandwich. And I was walking. I was going to go into Whole Foods. I'm like, oh, I'll get him a sandwich. And he promptly told me that he was fed up of sandwiches. <laughs> and he, he asked for a gift card instead. So he ended up getting what he wanted from the grocery store. And, and I'd rather that. And then, and then give money to somebody that may potentially support an addiction. And speaking of addiction, well, that reminds me of something my counseling instructor um, he told me many years ago. He told me about how we as human beings are addicted to comfort. He said that we seek comfort and we control our lives and the lives of others to maintain that comfort, to maintain a hold on our familiar perception of reality at, when we do that at any cost. It's no wonder that most of the church congregation then, you know, that my husband witnessed, ignored the man standing shoeless on the cold winter night. The man would have made them feel uneasy. He was a destitute beggar, somewhat inebriate from what my partner described, and, and he would have represented such a drastic contrast from the orderly environment that the congregation had just stepped out of. In my work as a counselor and, and my path as a spiritual devotee, I seek to welcome unease. I seek to provide it a soothing presence rather than try to get rid of it in hopes that I'll feel better once the distress is gone. Massindia has taught me that displeasure shows up to be loved. Pain, anger, hurt, fear, shame, guilt, sorrow, all need love. I invite my clients and, and you, my reader, to also ease into this edge of discomfort as much as you can. Because I know from experience that that, that is how we connect with our inner calm, with our inner sanctuary. Whatever we ignore, whatever we push away or try to manipulate in the effort to be comfortable and in control, well, it just persists. I don't know that we can really follow any kind of spiritual hierarchy or a sense of detachment from the, from the suffering in the world without it, without it costing us our humanity, our humility, and our honesty. Avoiding discomfort just keeps us locked up inside, tethered to our coping mechanisms, not free to surrender and trust in life. The key, then, to embodied mysticism is to follow our natural rhythm. Let the highs and the lows coexist. Breathe in and breathe out. That's a rhythm. Open and close and open like nature. Nothing in nature is ever predictable. And when you think of it, weather patterns, well, they're never really the same. We can predict them sort of, but mostly nature does as nature will do. Nature changes. It evolves. It erupts. And then it withers away. Life, death, it just cycles these beautiful cycles that permeate existence. That's life. That's this human experience of embodying soul in the life-death cycles that permeate life. 
permeates existence. And it feels so good to follow our nature, our existence, our rhythms. It's freeing to let ourselves be large and small, strong and fragile. Many spiritual seekers will go to such lengths to ignore their negative feelings, any discomfort, with the idea that they have to be transcendent. They somehow have to be above it all. But seeking to attain such perfection only causes more separateness. Well, and it isn't real. It isn't reasonable. And it's unkind. Because no matter how much we try to attain this this false sense of perfection or this idealized version of who we think we should be as spiritual beings, I think that we reject aspects of ourselves that need to be loved. There's a poem by Rumi, a 13th century mystic, about how our deepest presence, our presence, our embodied divinity, is in every small contraction and expansion. And the poem was translated by Coleman Barks, and I just love Coleman's his poetic rendition of Rumi's poem. He writes... Your hand opens and closes and opens and closes. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. Your deepest presence is in every small contraction and expansion, the two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as bird wings. I love this last line. The two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as bird wings. I think that's our relationship here with spirit and matter, humanity and our soul, is very much a balanced and coordinated rhythm. Like our breath, like bird wings. It's all, it's in nature. I love how Rumi's poem speaks about the flow of opening and closing the rhythm of our duality, of our paradoxes. To me, embodied mysticism is the beautiful balance and coordinated rhythm of expanding and contracting, the pivotal point between opening and closing and opening again and again on this wheel of life. Embodied mysticism is the willingness to be present and aware of all our points of contraction and expansion. The rhythm of opening and closing is simply intrinsic to the whole and, in essence, woven into our soul purpose. In this podcast episode, I explore soul purpose. It's the key theme in Chapter 3 in my book. I explore how soul purpose is the embodiment of divinity. Massindia describes soul purpose as a gift that we are essentially ordained to give to every part of our life, to ourselves and to one another and to our endeavors and to the environment. I want to add that soul purpose is not a vocation, as so many people assume it is. It's it's not our job. It's not what we do. It's not a career or relationship. It's not who we're with. It's not where we live or, or a goal that we're set to accomplish. What soul purpose is, is the expression of the essence of who we are. If you long for deeper meaning in your life to know yourself, then you're yearning for soul purpose. Purpose provides your soul with the expression it needs to fulfill its incarnation, its divine order, which is all about embodying who you truly are and therefore what you truly need in life. It's about embodying all of who you are. It's about being a welcoming environment for every facet of your humanness and your spirit. 
That reminds me of another poem by Rumi called The Guest House that expresses this so beautifully. It's another Coleman Barks translation, and it's from the illuminated Rumi. And I love, I love how our human nature is viewed as a guest house in this poem, and that every morning a new guest arrives, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Rumi speaks of welcoming all these intruders, even if they are a crowd of sorrows. Treat each guest honorably, he says. The dark thought, the shame, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I love this line in the poem. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Soul purpose, that's what it is. It's a way of honoring every facet of our human nature and our spirit. The two balance like a bird's wings. Let every negative thought, pain and suffering, and every delight, inspiration and intuition, arrive in the safe harbor of your self-acceptance. Now I say this with humility because I too negate, I too reject parts of me. And I do get to practice this. I too am uncomfortable with aspects of myself and others that I don't want to be around and I push away and then I stop. And I see how can I be a safe environment? How can I? Some situations are impossible. Some situations are too toxic. And that's where the contraction comes in and for us to listen to that. So then what we let in is our contraction. We pay attention to that. Then we become open to our contraction that is informing us and letting us know that a relationship or a situation is not healthy for us. Then we, we can welcome that and be curious and grow from it. You know, laughing with pleasure. I love that idea that this poem brings about this sense of pleasure with welcoming everything that shows up. When we do this, we cease betraying our innocence. We cease making ourselves and life wrong. We tend to assume that our shadow, that it's faulty, that it's even bad. And yet the more we fall in love with these shadows, with the pain, the struggle, the resistance, the resentment, well, something amazing happens. We let in spirit. Yeah, when we open the door to all our gremlins, our depression, our meanness and discouragement, and fear. And we let all of that step in. We open, we open the door to the light of our divinity. Spirit. Spirit always enters when the doors open. I truly believe that connecting with our soul purpose, well, it's that simple. I don't know if that's really the best way to say that it's, that's what it entails. That's what it calls for. The simplicity is in the balance. The non-simplicity is in fighting that. So, If you can notice that you're fighting with whatever aspect of you in reality and take a step back and observe that with curiosity, you'll begin to open. You'll begin to be a safe harbor for all facets of your human experience and foster a connection with source energy. When you open the door and let all your experiences in, you inevitably let in your spirit. Refuse the shadow, refuse a dark thought, reject being human, The door closes on the light and the love that you need to flourish. 
Let all of you in, the shame, the malice, the depression, the hurt, the fear. Meet them at the door with open arms and an open heart to let in God. And as I mentioned earlier, soul purpose is the expression, the embodiment of who we truly are. I want to share an excerpt from chapter 3 that I think sheds light on, on the significance of soul purpose and embodied divinity, well, what it truly means. As incarnated souls, we have a gift to share with earth reality, the transference of our spirit energy to the cellular intelligence within our body. This transfer of energy helps raise not only our physical vitality, but also the physical energy of earth. Earth in turn gives us life and free will, which allows for the full manifestation of our soul purpose. By incarnating on earth, we become part of Gaia. Our soul purpose is woven into our biology and senses, feelings, emotions, and thoughts, then evolve out of our of our interconnected relationship with nature. Mass India says that all the elements of earth and its kingdoms, animal, insect, mineral, and plant, they're all life forms in direct or indirect contact with humanity in a way that is designed by the interrelationship between Gaia's energy and our purpose and our influence. In whatever way humanity is out of balance, planet earth is part of the imbalance as our life forms within the Earth's sphere of existence. Therefore, since we are in partnership with Earth, it is necessary that we do our part in raising the consciousness of our own human experience so that we can give our soul purpose to Earth. Soul purpose is a gift. It's a gift, as I mentioned earlier. It's our higher consciousness that we are ordained to give to every part of our life. We are not meant to segregate our feelings from our actions and only revere achievement and reject vulnerability. We're meant to make, to make room for it all, to provide deep compassion towards our experiences. Mass India says that the soul purposefully merges with human nature in order to activate higher levels of magnetic energy within the physical body and the earth. By embracing your soul purpose by embracing who you are, really. You activate your spirit consciousness, the spirit consciousness of your physical nature, infuse all of your biology and your life with the essence of your soul. This not only helps restore and rebalance your body, your nervous system, and your overall physical structure, it also helps to connect you to your mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And it opens you to higher states of inspiration and peace. Not bad, eh? So as I consider what inspires me and what brings me peace, I have to say that writing as well as painting plays a large role in my life. Both, both provide the creative means to connect with my essence. Writing, in particularly, has a way of surprising me with insight as, as well as tenderness and connection. That brings me to the poem I share in this chapter about how magnificent we are. Oh, if we could only remember this, we would cease to hide our beauty. We would cease to despair. We would love and love and love ourselves and this world. We would, we would give life our full attention, our most devoted trust. The poem is called Far Reaching. I don't know if the road is near. Let the sign show the way home. I've strayed off the course of the collective mind. I don't know if you'll hear this song. Take in every word I pray and read between the lines. I have a message for you. 
Your face I imagine clothed in expressions history cannot erase. Passages of time have defined you, stories untold yet clearly an open book. You are, you are visible to me, great ocean of doubt, rhythms of breath, consuming machine, creator of happiness. My love, my love, you are everything. There are no limits that confine you, no obscure law that binds you. There is no hope that will save you. What mountain sky, universal truth, or warm summer breeze will you try to bargain with? Your life is no less far-reaching. You are limitless. You are everything. We are consuming machines, creators of doubt, and we have free will. We can choose to be the creators of happiness. We are so many aspects of, of nature, the wild, untamed, and the conditioned, the fearful, as well as brave and hurt and forgiving. We, we are so many things, so many expressions. The ego mind wants to pick which of these expressions is the most desirable, viable, acceptable. In essence, the ego wants to keep us safe from pain, from suffering, and ultimately from our edges of discomfort. Being happy feels comfortable, so of course the ego is, is seeking happiness. Feeling sad, angry, disturbed, well, that isn't comfortable. No wonder we've devised so many ways to distract ourselves from our discomfort, from unease. No wonder we've developed addictions and coping mechanisms such as overriding our feelings. We do this by defending, explaining, and justifying our actions. And our friends and family, well, they do the same thing by giving us advice rather than empathizing with our pain. But what about recognizing in one another that we are limitless and we are beautiful? then there will be no need to, to convince ourselves or anyone else that we are worthy enough. We, we would know. We would simply be in awe of our magnificence. My love, you are everything. There are no limits that can find you, no obscure law that binds you. There is no hope that will save you. You're already saved. You're already whole. There is no mountain, sky, or universal truth to bargain with. There is no God to bargain with. You are no less far-reaching. You are expansive. You are everything. You are expansive, limitless like the stars in the night sky. Here's another beautiful channel message from my book that I think is a beautiful way of closing this episode today. Mass India says that the embodiment of your soul is a miracle. Your soul has come to earth to bless this world and be blessed in return. It is good to remember this, they say, as it allows us to make life-affirming choices with ease and acceptance, strengthening our sense of self. So fulfilling your life, your dream, your longing, does not require effort or struggle you don't have to bargain with anything. Fulfilling your life requires connecting with you, welcoming you, embodying your truth. 
when you feel connected and are passionate about your purpose in life, about ultimately being you, even your fears are surmountable. Your fears then become guideposts, not forces of resistance. Thus, the things that you thought you could not do are made possible. Because you're listening, you're attentive, you're present. That's the power of your incarnated souls, manifested through the prayerful connection to your longing. That's the power of this incarnation. It's manifested through the prayerful connection to your longing, which puts you in touch with purpose, your purpose. Feel your longing, they say. They ask us to feel our longing. Feel our longing to manifest the beauty of our soul in our body, which moves us to bless this world with the grace of our being. Feel your longing. Feel your longing to manifest the beauty of your soul in your body, which moves you to bless this world with the grace of your being. I'm just feeling them come through right now. Hmm. So I'll end on the note of, of their own communication here. I'm just going to close my eyes for a minute and tune in. Soul purpose. Soul purpose is not rocket science. Soul purpose is not something you have to attain. It's not something you have to figure out. It's not something you have to go to school for and, and get credentials for and acquire knowledge beyond your years, beyond your own personal development. So purpose is held within your heart. It's in your ribs, in your gut. It's here, here, within you. It's your song, your signature energy wanting to move through you. It's your soul needing to flow through you and express itself through you. And the best way to get in touch with that is to be in touch with your feelings. When you allow all of your feeling states, your sensations, your thoughts, your emotions, the sensory mechanism of all, this body experience, even your thoughts, yes, your thoughts hold sensory, and your feelings... When you allow those to flow through you, you let in your soul, you let it express itself through you. You let yourself ultimately receive the guidance held within all of these experiences. So, please, stop looking for your soul purpose. Stop looking outside of you. Whatever direction you're looking for in life, start here within your own experience. When you search outside of you, you're pretty much putting life on pause. You're putting your soul purpose on pause. You're putting your soul on pause. You're saying, no, not yet, not ready. Let me figure out the outer world first. Let me assure that I'm safe. Let me change the other person that's in my life, like my spouse, so that I'm secure enough to be myself. And, and let me get the right and perfect job because only then, only then can I truly be myself. Only then can I truly honor my soul. Well, that's incongruent. It's not the truth. And it holds you back. You get to live your truth now. You get to live the fulfillment of your soul now. Even if you're 
working in a job you don't like, even if you're in a troubled, difficult relationship, even if you have a sick child, even if you're sick. Don't wait until you're better to attune to your vibration. Attune to your vibration so that you can get better. Attune to you. How? Feel your emotions. Be aware of your thoughts. Come back home into your body experience. Notice your sensations. That's the best meditation. You don't have to sit for an hour. You can sit for an hour, and we know that it will help you relax and restore your energy. But in terms of aligning to you every single day, remember to breathe and feel and allow your life to unfold as it's unfolding with utter curiosity. If there's one word we can impart today in terms of how to really connect with your soul purpose, the word would be curiosity. Be curious with everything that arises in your life. And through that curiosity, you will see and sense more. And through seeing and sense more, you'll be aware of more. And with that awareness, you will make choices that are more in alignment with who you are. Our dear friend, we trust you. We believe in you. We know how magnificent you are. We know. The Body Soul Podcast is brought to you by Linda Nardelli. You can find out more about her book, Mystical Intimacy, on her website, lindanardelli.com, and on Amazon. The podcast is her deepening exploration of the book's messages and the teachings of Masindia. Music for this episode is from the Purple Planet Collection, written and performed by Chris Martin and Jeff Harvey, and the podcast editing by Igor Mashariakov.